0: Well, good morning church, take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs 23, Proverbs 23, this morning the text will be verses 29 through 35, the title of the message is The Skill of Avoiding Addictions. The skill of avoiding addictions. It could also be titled The Skill of Battling Through Addictions, the, the Skill of Fighting the Fight Against Addictions. But it is a skill. Just as we've looked at every single text in the book of Proverbs in which we've preached, we understand that wisdom is the skill to effectively navigate all of life toward what? Glory of God. Toward what? The glory of God, toward the glory of God. And uh, dealing with addictions is no different. And so I'll read the passage and we'll launch right into the message. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Don't look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. When we're honest with ourselves, we must all admit that we have problems, we have money problems. We have job problems, we have relationship problems, friendship problems, parenting problems, schooling problems, financial problems. We all deal with problems, and I think everybody in this building would admit to that this morning. But one of the problems that we're unable to admit, or at least that we're unwilling to admit or see in ourselves, is that we all have an inclination toward addictions, Every single one of us has the capacity to be addicted to something. For some of us, it is alcohol, illegal drugs, prescription drugs, painkillers. For others, it may be cigarettes, coffee, sweet tea, food, gambling, sex. For others, it may be television shows, our favorite sports team, entertainment. And then some of us are desperate for control. Some of us are addicted to attention. Some of us will do whatever it takes to become the center of attention and to be on center stage so that everyone else can see us. The human heart, listen to me, the human heart is hardwired for two things. Satisfaction and allegiance. The human heart is hardwired for two things, satisfaction and allegiance, and we will not cease our pursuit of satisfaction until we get it, and then once we get it, we will be unflinchingly loyal to it. That is, until something else comes into our life that promises more satisfaction, and then We will gladly leave that which we were satisfied with and loyal to to jump to that which we now think is going to promise us more satisfaction and pleasure. At the CMA Awards this week, Justin Timberlake and Chris Stapleton sang a duet. I won't ask for a show of hands who all saw the duet, but it is wildly popular Uh, on the internet. It was uh, quite excellent. I want to read to you the two songs, the lyrics of the two songs they sang. The first one, Tennessee Whiskey. I used to spend my nights out in a bar room. Liquor was the only love I've known. But you rescued me from reaching for the bottle. You brought me back from being too far gone. You're as smooth as Tennessee Whiskey. You're as sweet as strawberry wine. You're as warm as a glass of brandy. And I say stoned on your love all the time. I look for love in all the same old places. Found the bottom of the bottle always dry. But when you poured out your heart, I didn't waste it because there's nothing like your love to getting me high. You're as smooth as Tennessee whiskey. You're as sweet as strawberry wine. You're as warm as a glass of brandy, and I stay stoned on your love all the time. Then they transitioned right into the next song I feel it in the morning. You're still here in the morning. I see you, but you're gone. Telephone a doctor, I'm not okay. The bottom of the bottle to fill this empty heart up. A thousand proof, don't change the truth. I dive in, but I can't. I can't drink you away. I've tried Jack, I've tried Jim. I've tried all their friends, but I can't drink you away. All these rocks I can't swim out of this skin I'm living in. Got a pounding on my brain, so I drowned it away. When the sun comes up tomorrow, you can find me doing the same because I just can't forget the way we turned out this bed and now the only thing that sleeps here is a ghost of you instead. I can't drink you away. The performance has been on YouTube now for about three and a half days and it has over 10 million views. And I ask the question, why? Why has has that performance and, and... have been just extremely and wildly popular over the last three days. Well, I think, number one, because the performance was excellent. If you saw it, the the singing was quite good. Chris Stapleton is a new artist that nobody really knew about. And honestly, it was just a a wonderfully executed musical performance. But I believe the reason primarily is the second reason, and that is that people resonate with the joy of satisfaction and the pain of losing that satisfaction. And, 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 and they, they, they resonate with the excruciating pain of losing something that you are a, a, have your allegiance to. And when your allegiance to that betrays you, then you go to something else to find the, the way to fill that hole inside of your life. That's why I say that we are hardwired for satisfaction. And that's why I say we will not stop until we get it. And so we all have the potential to be addicted. Please hear me say that. We all have the potential to be addicted because we all have longings to be satisfied. Chris Christie is running for governor. I'm sorry, he's his governor of New Jersey. He's running for president. I watched a video of him uh, this week, share a, a really a, a gut-wrenching story about one of his former uh, law classmates, law school classmates. Some of you may have seen it, but this is what he said. He said uh, this, his close friend was an Ivy League graduate, went to Seton Hall L- Law School. He became uh, basically best friends with this guy. He was good looking. He was in shape. He was the smartest uh, guy in his study group. He finished Uh, top of his study group in law school. He was the first to get a job. He was first to make a million dollars. He was the first to make partner. He married a beautiful wife, had three absolutely beautiful children. He was wildly successful. He had a big house, multiple cars, went on great vacations. His life was perfect, and he was in shape. And so he was running one day, and in his running, he got injured. And he was in pain. And so the doctor prescribed to him Percocet, And so he started taking Percocet because of the pain. But he did not intend this, of course, but he became hooked on Percocet. So much so that he became addicted, enslaved to this this pain-killing drug. So much so that his wife ended up calling Chris Christie and the other uh, friends from law school and said, you're going to have to do an intervention with him because he is losing control. And they did an intervention, yet it did not help the bottom line is, he started acting erratically. He started acting uh, just incredibly wild and, and, and started uh, selling things and spending his money on, on these drugs. And before you know it, his wife had divorced him. He lost his home. He lost his cars. He lost his law license. He lost his driver's license. He lost a bona fide relationship with his family. He lost everything And then they found him in a hotel room with an empty bottle of Percocet and an empty quart of vodka. And Chris Christie said... In this clip, he said, I'm pro-life. He said, I'm pro-life both in the womb and outside the womb. And what we've got to do is help people who are addicted. We've got to reach out to them and give them the tools and the resources to be able to help them fight their addiction and live quality lives. That's what I'm for. And I would tell you, church, that is exactly what I'm for. I'm exactly for that. We must give them the tools and the resources to be able to receive help. But this is what I would tell you that likely Chris Christie and I believe two different things about what tools and resources are necessary to help someone who is battling addiction. Because I will tell you that nothing, nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ can cause a person who is addicted to become redeemed. who A person who has this, this worship of this thing or this person to be ultimately delivered into a relationship that is ultimately satisfying, and eternally joyful. So I want to ask the question, what is addiction? What is addiction? Right. If you look on the internet and if you look at different reference books, what you're going to generally find is that addiction is a state characterized by compulsive engagement in rewarding stimuli. I'm trying to find the most simple one. Okay, sorry. All right. Um, It is an all I'm sorry. It is a state characterized by compulsive engagement and rewarding stimuli, despite adverse consequences, despite adverse consequences. That's what addiction is, according to your your general reference works. But I want to tell you how the Bible would describe and define addiction. Addiction is an all-consuming, artificially satisfying enslavement to a God substitute. Addiction is an all-consuming, artificially satisfying enslavement to a God substitute that ultimately ends in broken relationships and a destroyed life, that ultimately ends in broken relationships, and a destroyed life. It is, in one word, idolatry. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is the hope, The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to rescue you and rescue me from the enslavement of addiction and deliver us over to the unrivaled satisfaction and the eternal joy of authentic worship of the God of glory. That's the hope. That's the hope that we have. So a shorter version would say, Addiction is voluntary slavery to an artificial God, but the gospel transforms us to the freedom and joy of worshiping the God of infinite glory. And so I want us to see three realities about addiction this morning so that we can be informed about addiction, we can be inspired to to overcome addiction, and to be equipped to handle it when we personally feel the tug toward addiction so the very first thing we want to see is the plunge, the plunge of addiction from our, our text this morning. Now, if you just look down at the passage, I don't think that this passage is very complicated. It's not really complex. It graphically describes the descent of addiction, not in a chronological way, but in a very effective way. I mean, if you, if you, if you just were kind of observing as we read through the text, what you realize what is much like Proverbs 6 and 7. Remember how... How the adulterous woman calls out and pleads for a good time, a fun time, an enjoyable time. It's going to be secret, it's going to be mysterious, but you're going to love it. You remember that? But you remember how all that ends? It ends badly, doesn't it? All right. that's exactly what happens here. There is the offer of something sweet, the offer of something fun, something that that, that sounds exciting, but the end is also very, very bad. What this text does, it, it provides the unfolding destructive drama of addiction. And so there, I really see kind of three main movements in the text here in this plunge. And uh, the first one is in 29 and 30, which is really just a Q&A session. All right, 29 and 30 is a Q&A session that addresses the progression and the origin of addiction. So the question's, who has woe? That is Who has uh, this grand expression of grief and sorrow and anger? Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Uh, Who has distress that's caused by some type of dissatisfaction or disappointment in your life? So who's crying out in distress and dissatisfaction? And who's feeling that in their heart? Who has strife? That is, who is having bitter disagreements and conflict with the people around them, chiefly the people who love them and care for them? Who's experiencing that? Who's complaining? Who's expressing their dissatisfaction with their circumstances in their life? Who has wounds without cause? That's who, Whose body is bruised and injured without explanation? Who has redness of eyes? Who has that glazed over look? Who, who has that? Answer, verse 30. Those who linger, those who delay, those who remain behind for a while over wine, those who are pursuing those who are searching out mixed wine that is with with, possibly with honey and spices but the idea is that they're wanting to make wine more spicy and more potent than it already is so that they can have an increased and a heightened feeling of what regular wine offers to them you see, addicts cry woe and they have sorrow because of the pain and the distress that addiction brings to their lives. They get into conflicts and fights that produce bruises because under the influence of alcohol and drugs, they lose all sense of proper behavior. That's what's going on in 29 and 30. And I just want to make a statement about a couple of principles that we begin to see right here in 29 and 30. And that is addictions like sin overpromise and under And addictions like sin take you farther than you wanted to go and keep you longer than you wanted to stay and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. If you're pacified and satisfied when you get something, but anxious and desperate when you don't get it, you're likely addicted to that thing. Do you have anything like that? If you're calm and agreeable when you get this thing, but irritable and angry when you don't get it. You're likely addicted to that thing. If you're defensive and argumentative when people who love you bring it up to you and try to help you, then you know what? You're likely addicted to that very thing. If you find greater excitement and greater peace with this thing than you do in worshiping God and serving people, then you're likely addicted to that thing. Okay, you can, you can just look up. You see, addiction is not just reserved for a few different items or substances. Addiction is reserved for anything that you and I are willing to go after and run after apart from Jesus Christ the Lord. Okay, and And what we need to understand is that addictions turn us into self-serving, self-glorifying, self-gratifying monsters. And we're willing to run through anybody, run over anybody, in order to get what we want. And I would tell you, addictions take loving people and good people and turn them into selfish monsters. Okay, And you and I need to understand that, because we can walk right in those steps. Now what's interesting about this text, and, and, and potentially discouraging if we don't, if we don't think about, about it in its grander context, is that it provides no answer. It provides no solution. It provides no, no hope here. It's, it just gives you this, this ugly, dark picture, and that's kind of why there's an ugly, dark kind of cloud over, ha- hanging over the church right now, is because this is ugly. This is bad. That's why I want to give you the power over addiction right now. So, that was the plunge into addiction. I want to give you right now the power over addiction. Apart from the gospel, you have a story. You have a story. Listen to me, you have a story. And your story is not a good story. It's not. Your story falls right in line with the story of Adam and Eve. Where where, where God loves Adam and Eve and and gives them everything that they need for life and worship and joy and, and ultimate and eternal satisfaction. And Adam and Eve both walk away from God and... And, and, and search for satisfaction in something other than God. And so the serpent, all he has to do is hold out some other satisfaction and they run to it and plunge, and plunge all of mankind into sin and into, into the curse. And I will tell you our story, your story, Brody, your story starts with Adam and Eve. It starts with plunging. Plunging being plunged right into this addictive kind of, this addictive kind of um, proneness. But then God rescues them, He redeems them, and He loves them. And then later on in the book of Genesis, we see our story played out again in Israel. Can you remember Israel? After the book of Genesis, and they're in Exodus, and they're crying out, they're in bondage to Egypt, and they cry out, Lord, please save us, please rescue us, please redeem us. And God elects Moses, and Moses goes and redeems the people out of bondage and out of slavery, and He defeats Pharaoh and all of the Egyptian army, and He delivers them over, and He's going to carry them into the Promised Land. But in the meantime, after He's delivered them beyond the Egyptians... Moses is meeting with God up on the mountain and down in the valley, what do the Israelites do? Yeah, they they go after a God substitute, right? They look for satisfaction in something that they can touch, something that they can see with their eyes, something they can feel with their hands, and something that they can feel like they are going to get satisfaction here and now in, right? Addiction, all right? And, and and so their story is the same story as Adam and Eve. And then you fast forward a little bit more and you see King David. And he's described as a man after God's own heart. And you're looking, oh man, he's going to be a great king. He's slain this giant. You know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his, kin, his ten thousands. And David is the one who's standing for the glory of God. How dare anybody defy the army of the living God, David says. And we're all thinking to ourselves, now this is the real king. This is the real one who worships God. He He's not going to be addicted. And all of a sudden he walks out on top of his palace and he sees a woman and he calls her to himself. He commits sexual immorality. He ultimately commits murder. He lies and deceives the nation. And all of a sudden, we see in this king uh, our story as well. Yeah. And I think that we need to understand that our story, Ryan Limbaugh's story, okay, Anthony Taylor's story, is just like Adam and Eve's. It's just like Israel's. It's just like David's. Our story is a bad story because we turn and rebel against the goodness and the glory and the greatness of God and we pursue these these temporary, unsatisfying pleasures that are only going to show themselves to be fruitless in the end. But this is what I want to tell you this morning and this is why I've called it the Power Over Addiction God is in the business of rewriting your story. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ came to planet Earth. And, and he was baptized by John the Baptist. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he goes out into the wilderness And he goes without food for 40 days. And he walks out of that a hungry, hungry man. And who is the first individual to meet Jesus? Satan. Satan knows that he's hungry. Satan knows that that Jesus is likely physically struggling like no person has ever physically struggled before. And so he tempts him with false worship. He tempts him and says, why don't you turn those stones into bread? You remember that? And Jesus said, well, it's written, it's written. man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so Satan then tempts Jesus again. And he takes him up to the very top of the temple. And he says to Jesus, hey, listen, throw yourself down because the Scripture says that the angels will catch you anyway, basically. And what does Jesus say? It is written that you shall not what? Tempt the Lord but do not put him to the test. And so then, then Satan takes him up to the top of the highest mountain and looks at all the kingdoms and all the lands and all the nations that surround and he says, I will give you all of these things if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, Be gone from me for it is written. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Listen, folks, Jesus was tempted to engage in false worship. Jesus was tempted to engage in idolatry. But by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working in his heart, he he defied Satan and he defied temptation. And yes, I think we could even say he defied addiction and stood strong. And listen, his record is now our record. His success is now our success. His victory becomes our victory. And not only that, His power now becomes our power such that there is no temptation except such as is common to man, but God will provide both the power and the ability to walk around it. God. What I also want to say to you this morning is that after the temptation and after living this sinless, holy, perfect life and fulfilling all righteousness, Jesus went to the cross. Do you know what the cross says? The cross says that the kingdom of darkness no longer has power over you and me. The cross says, listen, I've paid your way out of Satan's domain. The cross is where God has rescued us and redeemed us in a way that demonstrates His glorious love. The cross says that the penalty of our sins has been paid and it never has to be paid again. The cross says that the the place where I've been sinful, I now can be holy. The place where I've been struggling, I now can have victory. The cross says that Jesus has done it all. Folks, there is no addiction that is so powerful that it has power over the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not one. That's right. The gospel breaks the power of addictions and reveals the emptiness of the promises they make. Yeah. The power of the gospel is stronger than the power of addiction. The satisfaction of the gospel is better than the satisfaction of addiction. And I can guarantee you the outcome of the gospel is a better outcome than the outcome of addiction. Because in addiction, you're looking for an escape, and in Jesus, you find a home. In addiction, you're looking for a rescue. In Jesus, you find redemption. And in addiction, you're looking for a temporary thrill. And in Jesus, you find ultimate fulfillment. And so I just want to say, let's don't be like the first Adam. Let's don't be like Israel. Let's don't even be like David. But let's look to Christ. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Listen, folks, one reason why we fight against addiction is because we know there is a greater joy on the other side of this life. There is a greater promise on the other side of this life. So I fight through this tugging that my heart feels. I I fight through this plunging that I just want to go down so that I don't have to care anymore, so that I don't have to work anymore, so I don't have to struggle anymore because I'm so tired. No, I still struggle. I still fight. I still stand because I know, just like Jesus knew, that on the other side of the cross that I bear is everlasting peace, everlasting happiness, and everlasting likeness to my great Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, I now want to give you a plan to fight against addiction. A plan to fight against addiction. Fact is, every battle needs a battle plan. I mean, a plan shows that you have hope. A plan shows that you're ready. A plan says, I've got excitement for this thing. I read about a a general about to go into battle uh, this week. Uh, he wasn't going to battle this week. It was a made-up story. I just read the story this week. And, and, and so the soldier says, uh, this is going to be the biggest battle of the war, General. Do you have your plan ready? He said, I do. He said, what is it? He said, we're going to eat a late breakfast, and then we're going to go into battle. He said, well, okay, but what's your plan? He said, that is my plan. Is that a plan? That's a plan to fail right there. That's a plan to fail. Listen, if you and I are going to win a battle... We've got to have a plan in order to engage in the battle. If we have no plan, I can guarantee failure. All right. And so the first thing that we need to do as we seek to fight against our universal tugging toward addictions is we must remember the cross. Remember the cross of Jesus Christ, because the cross is where you find forgiveness Listen, we're going to lose the battle at times, but we need to know that at the cross, I have been justified by faith. I have been accounted righteous before God. It is not on the basis of my works. It is the basis on the works of Jesus Christ. So at the cross, I remember that I find forgiveness. I find love. I find confidence. I find confidence at the cross. Listen, I will tell you, I've, I have spent uh, two and a half years going uh, in and out of uh, drug and alcohol rehab, doing Bible studies and counseling guys and everything. And I will tell you that I never would have stepped foot in that place if I didn't have this right here i just got no answers, I've got no ammunition, I've got no resources if I don't have this. But here I can find the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the power of God. I can find a better satisfaction than drugs and alcohol can ever offer. And not only that, at the cross, I can find real glory. Do you know that in our attempts of addiction, what we're really trying to get at is glory? we're trying to get at an experience that elevates us and satisfies us to a degree that it, it rises above the mundane experience of everyday life and the brokenness of it. That's what we're shooting for. But when we look to the cross, we get that. You know, Jesus, Jesus prayed in the garden in John 17. He said, I'm, I'm about to glorify you, all right? And he goes to the cross, he was referring to the cross, he says, this is your glory. This is your glory. It, why, why is the cross the glory of God? But it, because it beautifully reveals the holiness of God and the love of God at the very same time. Yeah. So remember the cross. Second thing you need to do is embrace your identity. Embrace your identity. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're a son or a daughter in the Father's arms. You are not a victim in the devil's hands. You need to know that about yourself. I belong to the Father. I'm in His family. He loves me. He cares for me. I belong to Him. He calls me His own. You're a worshiper of God, not an idolater. You're a warrior for God's army, not a victim of the devil's devices. Embrace your identity once you remember the cross. And then third, embrace the spiritual disciplines. Some call these the means of grace. Well, this is going to be really profound, I know. But listen, listen. these are the spiritual disciplines. Read the Bible. But in reading the Bible, begin to see your story in God's story. I mean, when you read Genesis, begin to see your story played out, but also begin to see how it plays out ultimately in Jesus Christ. But read the Bible. Pray consistently throughout the day man if you're if you 're given toward drinking eleven cups of coffee throughout the day to keep you at peace then Begin to pray throughout the day, Lord, right now I'm being tempted to drink this coffee. Would you give me the strength to say no to this one so so that I can rest in you rather than in the altered state of excitement or energy that I must feel through the coffee. And Lord, over a period of time, will you help me to wean me off so much coffee drinking so that I can be weaned on to the life-giving nature of fellowship with you. So read the Bible and pray consistently throughout the day. Sing songs of victory to God. Journal your spiritual journey. I, I will tell you, I've been reading some in my journal recently from 10... Nine, eight years ago, and I would tell you it's it's been a wonderful thing just to go back and read how God has sustained me and upheld me in times of difficulty. And I would tell you I think that if you are inclined toward addictions of some sort, it would be good for you to journal both your struggles and your victories that you experience because when you you relapse or when you kind of go into a plunge into the darkness, there you have hope. You can look back and see how God has delivered you time and time again. So journal your spiritual journey. Gather with God's people. Gather with God's people as much as you can. Um, one thing about people who are prone toward addiction is that a lot of times they, they really don't like meeting with the church of Jesus Christ. They think either these, these people are looking down their noses at me, and I feel less than a Christian around them because they have all their act together, and so they don't want to come. Or two, they look at the rest of the church and they say, oh, they're no better than, than I am, and they think they're all that, but they're no better than I am. But whatever it is, whether it's self-pity or self-exaltation, a lot of times people who struggle with addiction don't want to be among God's people. And one reason why is God's people often act like they've got their act together. Okay? This is what this is what you need to do. You need to understand that every person who walks into these doors is a sinner in need of a savior. Right. All right? And it doesn't matter whether it is Sexual immorality, it doesn't matter whether it is drugs or alcohol or painkillers or whatever it may be, you need to gather with God's people because you're going to find hope and life and love and forgiveness and encouragement and accountability and everything that you need in order to encourage you toward a life of worship rather than enslavement to your addiction. You need to listen intently to preaching. Like If you're given toward addiction, then you really need to be listening hard today. And you need to listen hard every Sunday. You need to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Listen, there are really two ordinances that the the Lord Jesus Christ has given the church. Does anybody know what the two main ordinances that God has given the church? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's right, the Lord's table. And you need to celebrate the Lord's Supper so that you can replay God's love for you in Jesus Christ every single month. And I'm going to give you two more, folks, um, under this embrace the spiritual disciplines. That is, serve others sacrificially. Serve others sacrificially. One of the things that we find in people who are addicted or heading down the road of addiction, you know what they do? They start thinking about the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. It's all about my comfort, it's all about my time, it's all about my money, it's all about my life, it's all about you doing for me, others doing for me, and you make excuses not to go here, not to do that, not to help these people, I don't feel like it, I don't want to. That's what happens when you're addicted. So what you need to do, no matter whether you feel like it or not, is you need to schedule opportunities throughout your week to serve and love and care for people not named yourself and you need to pray for others regularly. It's one of the things that you find with people who are often addicted, man, it's it's just all about them. They pray about th- this themselves. They need to pray for others. You need to pray for others regularly. It gets your eyes off of the mirror and onto God and onto other people. All right. Let me tell you one more action step. Where you take. So I've I've said remember the cross, embrace your identity, embrace the spiritual disciplines. Here's the, the last one. Take very specific steps to avoid falling. Take very specific steps toward avoid to avoid falling. And what I mean by that is you've got to like change your thought patterns. And if you're a guy who has been addicted to sexual immorality, and you adults know generally what I'm talking about with this, there are things that are going on in your mind frequently that even though you now maybe have, have fought against engaging in that temptation, you still have a lot going on in your mind. And you're replaying stuff. Well, listen, the thing is you've got to change your patterns. You've got to get rid of those thoughts and put on the thoughts of Christ. You've got to put out those satisfying thoughts that are carnal in nature and put on satisfying thoughts that are eternal and redemptive and loving and worshipful in nature. Because if you don't do that, you're going to constantly be entertaining your addiction and your idol in the midst of trying to fight against it, and that's not a good battle to fight. So change your thought patterns. Set up boundaries that will prevent you from getting close to your addiction. Set up boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I remember talking with a guy out in Los Angeles just before we moved back to Alabama and he had a sexual immorality addiction and he was telling me it was so bad that on Christmas Day, he was in his mid-twenties, on Christmas Day, he was to be headed to his family to see his brothers and sisters and his mom and dad to eat Christmas dinner, exchange gifts and all of that. And he said on his way down, he knew that there was a particular establish- establishment and he, he got off the exit and went into the establishment and never made it to family Christmas on Christmas Day. He missed dinner, he missed gifts, he missed siblings, he missed mom and dad and stayed through the night. Why? Because the pull was so great. For a guy like that, he's got to avoid temptations and establish boundaries as much as he possibly can in order to avoid the kinds of things that are the, really the, the, the pitfalls that, that come. All right, so do that and then let me just tell you this, include people to hold you accountable and give you encouragement. Include people to hold you accountable and give you encouragement. Ed Welch says addictions are like mushrooms that thrive in the darkness. That is where addictions can feed on lies. If we're going to change, we must bring them into the open and speak the truth. I'll tell you, I've never personally known someone who has been captured and enslaved to an addiction And got out of it on their own, in their own power, in secret. I've never really, never encountered that person. May exist, I just never have. I'd like for you to just gather your things up right now. Let's have a time of meditation. This series is titled, Real Wisdom for Real Life. It's titled, Real Wisdom for Real Life. And I want you to know that there are really two kingdoms that exist in this world. There is the kingdom of wisdom and the kingdom of folly. You can call it the kingdom of life and light versus the kingdom of of death and darkness You can call it the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan, but there are only two kingdoms. And I want to tell you that the road away from addiction to God-glorifying, joy-filled worship starts with pursuing wisdom, pursuing the kingdom of God, pursuing life and light. These are the words of the Scriptures in Proverbs. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. These are the words of wisdom. Listen, he he says, when I was a son of my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother... He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Don't forget. Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forsake her. She will keep you. She will love you. So love her and she will guard you. Listen one more time. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Folks, God right now is holding out His arms to you and He is saying to you, come to Me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you satisfaction. And I will give you pleasure. And it will not go away. It will not run for you. It will not be eluding uh, your, your grasp, what it will do, instead of being ever-diminishing, God is saying, my pleasure will be ever-increasing. Yeah. Instead of ending in emptiness, it will end for you in fullness that never terminates. Instead of it breaking lives and destroying yours, it will bring healing and life and fullness and enjoyment until one day you're going to look up and you're going to be just like your Savior, Jesus Christ. I call you today, folks, to put down whatever it is that is captivating your heart more than Jesus Christ is. I call you today to say, you know what, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of running to this substance, running to this person, running to this thing for my fulfillment and my satisfaction more than I've been running to Jesus. I call you today to run to Christ and find forgiveness and love and satisfaction and joy that lasts forever.